I've, I, I actually have my own little title for it on my own notes. And uh, we have the 20 for 20, but on my notes, I keep calling it pray, pray like your life depended on it. That's been my, my theme for this week in these last three weeks. Be- because our life does depend on it. And so many times you can live life without experiencing it. But let me just say it this way. You're not living your fullest life. You're not living the life that God intended for you to live. I mean, you would be alive still, but, but you just wouldn't be the same. It just wouldn't be quite like what, what really God wants for you. How many, anybody here ever heard of Corey Ten Boom? I know it's been a long time since, since she was like super famous in the Christian world, but in case you aren't familiar with her, you know, she is, she is one of those people, she's Dutch, and she helped hide some of the Holocaust uh, victims during the, during the Holocaust, and an uh, incredible Christian lady, persecuted for Christ, ultimately ended up being imprisoned for that, and she's got some amazing books on prayer, and this is a quote that I saw this last week that just really got to me. It said, is, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? You know, I know we're all familiar with that song, like, Jesus, take the wheel, and we say that, but usually we don't ask him to take the wheel till we're done driving, right? Or till we're, we've already driven it in a ditch, or we've driven it in a situation where we think, oh, I don't know what to do now. Okay, God, now take the wheel. Like, what? And I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but, you know, that, that bumper sticker used to be popular, uh, God's my co-pilot. Why, why would he be the co-pilot? If anything, you should be the co-pilot. He needs to be the pilot pilot. He needs to be the one, all these mixed metaphors, driving the ship, right? He needs to be the one making the decisions, and we go to him for those. But a lot of times, we don't do it till things are already up in the air and falling apart, and we don't know what to do, and... No matter what our background, I know we as Christians, we know we're supposed to pray. And we all feel that probably tug to pray more. So hopefully these last few weeks you've felt that and you've walked with that. I think about this though. You know, life can change so quickly. Remember, it's been a few years ago, but I know my wife and I were getting ready for bed. And Nicole saw something on Facebook and said, I think something happened with your family. Your uncle put something weird on Facebook. It looks like something serious happened. And I looked at it and I think, someone someone died. It's like someone died. So I called him. And, you know, they're two, they live in Oregon, so they're two hours behind us, so it wasn't like I was waking them up. But sure enough, my, one of my cousin's sons had been skateboarding and fell and hit his head and, and died. He's 18 years old. Their life has changed forever, forever. And they've walked through in the last four or five years, I forget how long, how long it's been, but an incredibly painful ordeal where life has changed. And, and some of us have experienced those phone calls I, I, probably for most of us, if the phone rings in the night, you're worried, right? Because we just don't do that anymore. But we text and we, we have these, uh, it's just a different system. I mean, if the phone rings, you're wondering why. Or there's times where, you know, if somebody calls me who, who I don't normally get a phone call from, I look at it and I'm immediately concerned. I, I actually got one of those this week. We have a lot of people we need to be praying for that either have the threat of cancer or have cancer or being treated for cancer. Maybe it's a failed exam. Maybe, maybe you did go for a test and they came back positive. Isn't that weird how they do that? Like positive is the bad thing and you get a negative result and that's good. And the worst is the waiting, right? You've got to wait. Like we took the test, now we have to wait. Your granddaughter's sick. You get a call and your son's in jail. You didn't even know he had a, tr- a problem, drinking problem. Maybe you get sued. Maybe a friendship ends and you didn't know what happened or suicide or you discover there's another woman or another man and life is all up in the air. Time stops, literally stops. 
and you're panicking? How are you going to find the strength to go on? Of course we pray then, and you should. And we pray, and we cry out to God, and we say, God, help us. And as we look at this prayer that Jesus gave the disciples, you see, well, let's take a look. In fact, let's, let's go ahead and say it again together. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You may have noticed this already, but the first part of that prayer was, was mainly about God's concerns. Did, did you notice that? It was about worship and worshiping his holy name and his kingdom and his will. And, and that's the right way to do it. I mean, it should be that way. And then this next part ends up being more about us, our daily needs, our forgiveness, temptation, and protection. And that's really the right order. I think it's exactly how it should be. But, but if we're really honest with ourselves, how many of us actually do it that way? Don't most of us, we go to him and we just launch right into our list? It's, like, it's almost like the list of Santa, and I need this, and I'd like this, and, and this, and this, and this. And we never stop and get it in the right order and the right perspective. And you know how it would be. You know, maybe you have this happen from time to time, maybe at your work or, or with a family member. And they come in, and right away they just start asking for stuff, and you stop like, hello, hello first? Are you going to at least say hi? Right? And we do that to him all the time. And sometimes it's because we're desperate, and we cry out, God, I, I need you. Have anybody ever been in an airplane where it does something really crazy? Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever noticed people praying? They pray, right? People start praying then. You know, the plane drops. I've had that happen where, you know, it drops and, and things are kind of floating in the air for that instant and then crash and then everybody's like, ah, and then screaming out. Well, of course you're going to pray and you're going to say, God, help me. I'm not saying that in that situation you're like, hold on, hold on, hold up. And then you worship for a minute. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is on your daily prayer, the time you spend with him, make sure you go to him first and and honor him and give him the worship he deserves because you're grateful and you love him and you're so grateful for everything that he's given you already. And then I love the fact that Jesus then tells them, pray for your daily bread. Pray for your daily bread. I don't know, you know, I've, I've, all my life, you know, we've stopped and prayed before meals. And I remember as a kid asking my mom, do we have to do this every time we pray or every time we eat? And I remember her looking at me like, and I, my, it's funny, you know, you learn so much from your parents. You know, it's, it's like theology class almost. It, whether they say it out loud or not, you still learn those things. But I distinctly remember we were at a restaurant and maybe I was embarrassed. I don't know. I was little. I was young. I mean, I don't, I, all I remember is her like, we don't have to, we get to. I didn't really get it, but like, I, you know, I said, okay, but I didn't understand what she meant. Now I do. It's not because we have to. We want to. We get to. We're grateful for what he's done, and there's, there's certainly scriptural basis for this. Look at this passage in Timothy. Paul, he's kind of rough. He's talking about some people who've come into the church and taught some things that were not true. So he says, now the Holy Spirit tells us correctly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith, they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. It's harsh, right? These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. Now, with this setup, 
what do you think he's going to condemn here? I mean, you'd think it was pretty serious, right? I mean, with this setup, I, I was thinking some crazy, crazy stuff. Here's what he condemns. They will say it's wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. I, I want you to understand this is how serious Paul takes this. He says, but God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. He, he thought that that kind of daily provision was so important that you should offer thanks for it. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and by prayer. Jesus himself, when he fed the 5,000, look what he does. Then he told the people to go sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves, the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. Clearly, we do it out of gratitude. We're thankful that God has provided food for us. Now, I know how it is because we're, we're, we're Americans. And we live right in the middle of the America. I mean, next to the bread basket. In Kansas, the bread basket. We're not really the bread. But, I mean, we live in a land of plenty. We live in a place where very few people actually go hungry like Real hunger. But how many of us have, have said, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse? I don't know why we say horse. That would be weird. But How many of you guys have said, I'm starving. I haven't eaten since, you know, three hours ago. <laughs> now, I could understand if we're talking about vegetables because my parents made us eat everything. Did, I don't know how your parents were. I mean, we had everything. Every, I've never seen a new, new fruit or a new <laughs> vegetable that we didn't have to eat when I was a kid, and we had to eat it all. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know that I'd be so thankful for Brussels sprouts or lima beans or artichokes, but, you know, if you like them, good. More for you, less for me. I'm good with that. But most of us don't know what it's like, right? We don't really know what it's like. We don't know what it's like to not have things. Even, even in times I know growing up where we didn't have a lot, I didn't know it. I just knew we had rice again or beans again, but I was never hungry. The gratitude. You know, we can be so forgetful about being grateful for what we do have. And when he says to thank God for your daily bread, he's saying be thankful for what you have. The very fact that you have it. I know you know this, but I mean, the less you have, hopefully the more grateful you are for what you do have. But I think it's because we're so affluent and because we have so much that we tend to forget and be grateful for even that. But he says to be grateful. Grateful for the plenty. Be, be grateful for the quantity and, and, and the quality. I mean, we have the best of everything and the, the variety and the taste and the texture and you know, I, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I've had the, the privilege to know some friends from um, outside the U.S. And one of, one of the big eye-openers is taking them shopping with you. And when they walk into a grocery store, and it's, it's not just what we have. It's, I mean, we have a whole aisle of cereal. You realize that? Every single thing you could possibly imagine is right there. And fresh vegetables from all over the world, and, and meat is fresh, and you know, years ago, when I lived in San Diego and then L.A., I was in San Diego five years and ten years in, in a church in L.A., and, and I would organize these missions trips with a bunch of youth groups, and 
sometimes three or four and sometimes as many as five. And what I would do is get those youth pastors. We'd go down to Mexico, usually about five hours south, and uh, just kind of my thing. I mean, a lot of people go to Tijuana or, or Ensenada, but I wanted to go further where people didn't have all that. So we'd go down, and I would take the leaders down, and we'd set it up. I'd, give, I'd, I'd set them up their own church. So they'd get to know a pastor and his family, and they would do a, a work project for them, whether it was painting or setting block or digging an outhouse, whatever, whatever, something simple that kids could do. And then they would do VBS every day and do a service, and they would get a, build a relationship with that pastor. But then I would, I would handle all the, the food and the camping, and we'd all camp together in this huge campground. And, and so my team that would prepare all the food, uh, we, w- we would plan it out and and, uh, you know, we'd get food that would go a long way for a lot of kids, you know, have to be frugal. And so every night we would have one of those churches bring their pastor and it would be their night to host them with the whole camp, all the, all the churches. We'd do worship together and it was just a great time to bond with those pastors. So one night, one of the pastors was coming that was brand new to us. And I, I didn't think ahead, and I, I, I got there, and I'm like, I, ran, I remember running over to the ladies who did our cooking and all that. I go, hey, what are we having tonight? And they're like, oh, tonight's hot dogs. I'm like, oh, man. I mean, hot dogs. You know, you know how hot dogs are made, right? I mean, hot dogs. And I thought, oh, that's horrible. Oh, okay. Okay, and they're like, well, we could change it. No, 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 that's fine. And I mean, I was hoping it was spaghetti, or these ladies did amazing things with chili, or I don't know, just something that, it was hot dogs. So I remember that night, you know, we're eating, and, the pastor's there with his wife, and, and um, as we're there, you know, in my broken Spanish, I was telling him, I, you know, I'm sorry we didn't have something nicer for him that night, is what I said. And then he, he rattled something off so fast to me. It was something so quick, a big old smile, and, you know, his mouth was full of hot dog. <laughs> I couldn't understand him. And thankfully, we had this lady who, had, who would interpret for us. She was amazing. She had grown up in Mexico City and then done her graduate work in the U.S., and that's where she met her husband, and then she ended up staying in the U.S. So not only was she Mexican, but, I mean, her Spanish, and then her manner and her way, she, she could read into, you know, it's not just the words. I mean, if I'm interpreting just words, that's one thing, but she, she was Mexican. She got it, and she just, she just laughed, and she said, here's what he said in not so many words. This is the only meat he's had all week, all month, and he's grateful. I just remember being not only so humbled, but also then also so grateful. And I got to be honest, my next bite of hot dog was the best hot dog I've ever had. I, I look at that and I think when, when Jesus makes it a pattern of prayer and says, be thankful for your daily bread, it's because it matters. And we should be grateful. And, and it's more than that. It's more, it's more than just bread. He, he intends way, way more than bread. When he says this about bread, he's talking about more than that. He's, he's talking about the provision of it. And you, you don't even think about what, when he told that crowd to be thankful for their daily bread, I guarantee you their amount of gratitude for daily bread is different than ours. Some of us like, I hardly ever eat bread. I, don't, I like bread. I just don't hardly ever eat it. But, but in their economy, in their world, it was everything. And most people would have probably made their own bread. And when he said thankful for daily bread, they had to have probably thought through, well, someone plants it and, and harvests it and then grinds it. And then they buy the flour and they prepare it. And it's daily because it wouldn't last more than a day, right? We don't even understand the gratitude that he intended by that phrase. It's more than that. 
It's, it's more than just food. It's, it's really the provision of every physical need that you have. It's your health. It's, it's good weather. It's the fact that you've got a roof over your heads and a job to go to and, and a government and roads and, and a vehicle, hopefully. And there's so much provision that goes into our lives that, that they wouldn't understand. When I say that we wouldn't understand their daily provision, granted, they wouldn't also understand ours, but the same gratitude needs to be in our hearts for what we have that they would have had to have had for theirs. It's all the necessities of life. I think it comes down to something more like this. The great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but actually unoffered prayer. We don't even thank him for those things. And those things are things we need every day. And he knows it. And he provides them as a loving father. But we walk through our lives and we just take it all for granted. I mean, we get in our vehicle and we turn the key and we expect it to work. And on the off occasion that it doesn't, our whole world falls apart. But we didn't even thank him for it the day it did work. We just don't ask because we forget. We we don't thank him because we forget. We just take it for granted. It it ends up being that whole thing, that battle of the urgent pushing out the important. When it's urgent, we pray and we thank him. When it's not, we don't. This this quote struck me this week too. Instead of it being something we do every day, like breathing and eating and walking and talking, it seems to have become like that little glass-covered box on the wall that says, break in case of emergency. And then we're grateful. Only in a crisis. But our daily bread goes far beyond that. And not only that, I know what he intended by this because he says our daily bread. He's not just talking about me individually. It does apply individually, but it also applies to your family, to your friends, to your church, to the people you know, to the people you don't even know. Your neighbors, the widows, the orphans, the world. I mean, there's a lot of need around the world. So when he says be grateful for our daily bread and thank him for that and ask him for that, we need to be asking for all of those things for all of those people And he goes on, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Notice also the our in there, us, our debts. Again, it's communal, but it's also personal. This is another example where I remember asking, why does does it say debts and not sin? Some, Some versions say sin, some versions say trespasses, but most actually in the Greek it implies a debt. Have you ever wondered about that? Did you ever think of your debt? I mean, your sin as debt? Let me explain it. It's because when you sin, when you do things that are wrong, you create a debt situation between you and another person or you and God himself. And you literally now owe them something. And you might be sitting here thinking, I don't think it means that or it doesn't work that way. No, it does. Here's how it works. Here's what you owe them. You owe them better than that. As a Christian, because you're a Christian, you owe them a, a better uh, attitude. And you owe them a better way of being treated. And you owe them honesty. And you owe them not talking about them. And you owe them caring about them and meeting their needs before you meet your own. And putting them before you. We, we actually owe each other those things. And you might still be thinking, I don't know, man. I don't know if I owe, owe, owe it. You do. You owe them kindness. You owe them grace. You owe them love, and not just the kind of love that gets things from people, but the kind of love that God intends, the kind of love that seeks the best in others. So what that means is, I want the best for you before I get what is for me. And if I do that and treat you that way, I owe you that. And you might be sitting here, and some of you, and it's, it's, it's a normal thing, but like, well, what about me? 
Well, here's how it works. When you do that for them and they do that for you, everybody's needs are met. But when you selfishly take it for you, then you breaks the whole cycle and the whole system is disturbed. And you owe a debt. You've disturbed it. Let me just mention a few things about forgiveness. I mean, it'd be easy to make this whole sermon about forgiveness. I think about even the couples night. Uh, the speaker, he talked about the fact that, that men and women are different. He had some really funny examples about that. But his main point was, because we're different, we need to treat our spouse in the way that they communicate and the way they need. Because we love them, we do that for them, knowing that they're different. It's the same thing with everybody you encounter. You know, you know how I look at it? We, we owe them because it's been given to us. We owe that kind of forgiveness to other people because they've, we've been forgiven. We give forgiveness, and here's the twist about it all. When you give forgiveness, you actually give it to yourself. Because really, unforgiveness is a burden. It's, it's a debt you carry. And it weights you down. It weights your soul down. It punishes you when you think you're punishing somebody else. I mean, you may be in a situation where you're angry or upset at somebody, and you, there's unforgiveness, and you feel like you're punishing them, and most of the time, they have no idea. They are living rent-free in your mind, and you've allowed it. When you forgive, it, it frees you of that. When you forgive, it frees you. When you do not forgive, it blinds you to things that you would normally see. You can't hardly care for people with unforgiveness. It cripples your ability to love. It affects your vision. What's interesting about the wording in this prayer is, we forgive, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Our being freed of debt is contingent on us freeing other people of the forgiveness debt. Here's interesting. It's interesting because it's not that the forgiveness is overlooked. It's actually forgiven and done away with. It's like the debt is completely paid without reservation. There's no expectation anymore. They don't have to do anything anymore. No more conditions. I I think that this is one of the areas where we struggle to follow the golden rule. You know, do unto others what you want done to yourself. I mean, how many of us want conditions on the forgiveness we need? I mean, we all need forgiveness from time to time. There's times where we walk into situations and we need forgiveness. I heard this story. You know, some translations do say, forgive us our trespasses. So a four-year-old prayed it this way. And forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. (laughs) Kind of accurate, huh? In Matthew 18, Jesus tells this story. He's a master storyteller. He tells a story about forgiveness. He tells a story about, about this guy who owed this uh, ruler. He owed him this massive amount of money. And when Jesus told stories, he used hyperbole a lot, exaggeration, to make a point. And in this particular story, the amount of money the guy owed, some people estimated to be 10, 10 million lifetimes of one salary. So everybody in the crowd would have been like, wow. I don't even know what number that is. To you guys. But it's, here's the thing. The servant begged to pay it off. And the point of the story was, it was so much money, he would never be able to pay it off in a million lifetimes. Does that make sense? That's the debt he owed. <laughs> and to everybody's surprise, the king forgives the debt. And if you know the story, that same person who was just forgiven walks outside 
and then runs into somebody who the estimate is that it would have owed him four months' wages. So obviously, a pitiful amount compared to what he was just forgiven, and yet he doesn't forgive. So the, the story ends like this. He says, uh, oh, the king throws him into prison for that. So this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. It's the same idea here. You've been forgiven, so you need to forgive. And he makes it clear you can't have one without the other. <laughs> let's, let's go on. Let us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He ends the prayer like this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I read this years ago, but it cracks me up every time. Uh, have you ever heard this prayer? Dear Lord, so far today I'm doing all right. I've not gossiped, haven't lost my temper, haven't been greedy or grumpy or nasty or selfish, haven't whined, complained, cursed, or eaten any chocolate. I haven't charged anything on my credit card, but I'm about to get out of bed. <laughs> And then I think I'm going to really need your help. <laughs> Have you ever wondered why God would tell us to pray that he not lead us into temptation? Would he lead us into temptation? Yeah. It's a figure of speech. It, it really doesn't mean that he leads us into temptation. What it means is more help us to avoid a temptation. Help us to not be in situations where temptation is a problem. In the message version, it says, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. <laughs> You know, those requests that in this part of the, the prayer, they start with physical requests about bread and then spiritual requests about forgiveness. And now we're talking about morality. And this is, I think, a lot of times where people get really uncomfortable because I don't know about you, but I'd rather not talk about what tempts me. Because what that does is give you a glimpse into my failures and the cracks in my character. And I don't, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't want to even acknowledge that I have issues with temptation, Right? We all act like we're fine, and there's no problem. How many times today have somebody asked you, how you doing, and you said, fine? Because we, we just don't want that kind of scrutiny or insight. But the fact is, we're all tempted in one area or another. And I've noticed it's easy to condemn people in areas where they're tempted that I have no temptation. You notice that? Because I can't even comprehend why that's a temptation for them. Because I'm not tempted that way. So it lets me be a little self-righteous, and I don't even have that problem. They got that problem. I don't have that problem. Right? Or, or maybe this is you where, or me, where maybe I've overcome a temptation and walked with Christ a long time, and then I forget what it was like to actually be in that sin. Either way, Jesus tells you to pray to avoid temptation. Why would he do that? It's because our whole life is a struggle against temptation, and we're drawn to sin, yet we want and love Jesus, and we want to live differently. Think about that passage in Romans 7 where Paul says, I don't, I'm so frustrated. What I want to do, I do not do, and those things I don't want to do are the things I do. It's kind of a tongue twister if you ever read it. It's fun, but it's also insightful. I think about this, you know. It seems like when you've conquered one area of temptation in your life, then there's another one that, that you realize right behind it that you need to work on. It's almost like you, you've been working on humility and then you've become so proud that now you're finally humble. <laughs> 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 
Galatians 6.1, Paul tells us, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back to the right path and be careful not to fall into the same, same temptation yourself. Nick, if you could come help us up here. You know what he's saying? He's saying we need to know our enemy. And what's the old line? We found the enemy and the enemy is us. We're weak. That's who we are. But what he knows is that that's who we are. And he wants you to know that there's an enemy of your soul who wants to destroy you. Not only do we struggle with that, but don't forget that there's an enemy in this world and his objective is to destroy everything good in you and in the world. That's why in Peter, 1 Peter says, give all your worries and cares to God, pray, he cares for you. I wonder if when Peter wrote this, he was thinking about the Lord's Prayer. I never thought that till this week. I wonder if he was thinking about the Lord's Prayer. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that the family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. I quote this verse a lot because it's powerful. But the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. I'm going to ask you to do this with me. If you just shut your eyes for a moment. Going back to what Frank shared earlier in the service. There may be somebody here in the room who... Maybe you thought the script of your life was already written. Maybe you came to church today not expecting to have an encounter with God, but as you've been sitting here today, you realize that there's a God in heaven who loves you, cares about you, and wants to rewrite your life. Maybe for you, this is a first-time thing that you want to follow Christ for real this time. Maybe you, like Tim shared in his baptism video, that really didn't follow Christ for 40 years but you need to get that together and you want to change maybe like Martha said that you acted or people thought you were a Christian but you really weren't serving him and now you want to and if that's you we want to pray with you so if that's you would you just raise your hand for a minute and we'll just pray together anybody here at all like that do you want to raise your hand and we would just pray for you to become a Christian today anybody at all All right, for the rest of us, would you just stand with me? <clears throat> if you're part of the prayer team or... Pastors and board and one of their, one of their spouses that come to pray with us today, I'd like you to come on down and be prepared to pray. <clears throat> I want to take a few minutes at the end of our service today. If you are here... Maybe you need to pray about one of these areas that we talked about. Maybe it's that daily bread and its provision. Maybe you're one of those who've had, had some news this week or, and you need prayer. You need God to intervene in a situation of provision that you did not see coming. It could be financial. <clears throat> it could be physical, spiritual, relationship. It doesn't matter. We want to pray with you. Maybe you're here today and for you it's just a matter of you just need someone to stand with you and pray with you to help in some area that is you're just struggling to overcome. Whatever it is, I invite you to come and let us pray with you for a few minutes today. <clears throat>